Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician Dr. Robert Jackson with his wife Carlotta and daughter Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome in. My name is Hannah Miller, and I'm the host of The Hannah Miller Show. And this week is a little bit different because I'm here on More Than Medicine with my dad, Dr. Robert Jackson, and we're collaborating our two shows this week to do an interview with Aaron Mishler. And Aaron Mishler is an associate pastor at my church, New Prospect Baptist Church. And he wrote an article this past week that I thought was very timely. And so I asked him to come on and do an interview with us for this collaboration between my dad and myself and discuss this article. And so, Aaron, I read this article, and like I said, it was incredibly timely. What prompted you to write this article and kind of give our listeners a little bit of an idea of what it is? Yeah, thank you, Hannah. I appreciate the opportunity with the two of you to to come on and talk about it. The article itself uh, has been on my mind, but it really... Here within the last month or so, the month of June, uh, I work happily in full-time ministry and in pastoral ministry, and uh, that's my day job. Now, I don't want anything about that to change, but I also um, have maintained a teaching role uh, through uh, a university that uh, most people would recognize, and uh, this particular university this year has really emphasized Pride Month in a way that previous years they they have never really done. So I was getting in my inbox hit with this, and we had staff meetings on really recognition of Pride Month and, and what to do. And so I'm having this internal struggle as a pastor as this organization is telling me to to recognize and celebrate something that I advocate against as a Bible-believing Christian. So I'm having this internal struggle, and I kind of have this realization, you know what, probably a lot of people in the secular workforce are having the same exact struggle as organizations are taking a step into the political realm and celebrating Pride Month. So this kind of set the stage for me. Um, Really, it was a personal struggle. I was thinking, do I want to be here? Should I say something? Should I just put my oar in the water? Uh, so that's really where this article came from. Well, I, I've experienced the same thing because it, everywhere I've turned on my, my cell phone, uh, I've been seeing advertisements about Pride Month. I mean, I'm just receiving a Microsoft advertisement on my cell phone. And there it is. Celebrate Pride Month. It has absolutely nothing to do with Pride Month, but there it is in my face, this promotion of Gay Pride Month. Well, here we go. Before diving in, what are the baseline theological points, Aaron, that you assume you and your readers and your listeners are agreeing upon? Yeah, it's a good question, uh, because when we're talking about Pride Month and homosexuality and Scripture, we could go a bunch of different directions with that topic. And I felt like to hone this in from where I was writing from and to the audience I was writing to, I felt like I really needed to narrow this down. And the one assumption I think most obviously is that the the reader of the article really has to understand pretty clearly that uh, I come from a a Bible-believing standpoint, that Scripture is inerrant, that it's our authority, and that it uh, only affirms a sexual relationship between a married man and a married woman. So um, that, of course, rules out 
every other form of sexual activity. And so from the perspective of this article, um, I really wanted to get that out at the front because somebody might even object to that. They could say, well, you can do whatever you want to do, and we're going to be on different pages from the get-go. And the second assumption then that I listed here is that really um, there are people out there as well that believe in the God of the Bible, but they don't necessarily agree that uh, sexual relationship between a man, a married man and woman is the only relationship um, affirmed in Scripture. And so if, if somebody is in that pool, we would have to have a different conversation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're an atheist, you're going to have all kinds of problems with this article. And if you're uh, somebody who believes in the God of the Bible, but you don't believe that there are any problems with homosexuality in Scripture, you're also going to have a lot of problems with this article. Um, so I felt like I wanted to get that out <clears throat> at the forefront. I think those other conversations are really important and good to have. But I did want to narrow the scope for this particular article. As a Bible-believing Christian, I was struggling in the secular workplace with this push of Pride Month. And and I felt like I wanted to communicate with other believers who might feel that same struggle. So the title of your article is, What Should Christians Do About Pride Month? Just to remind our listeners, again, if they want to go and try to find that, um, it's, the title of your blog is um, thepastorsblog.com is where you can find that. And we'll try to share it up on the social me- our social media as well so that our listeners can find it there. But with those two points in mind, what's the very first thing believers need to do when contemplating a response to homosexuality and Pride Month in general? Yeah, uh, for me, I feel like when I'm hit with a really hard push that just seems in any, every way, shape, or form to be anti-God, I have to remember I live in an anti-God society. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be surprising to me when I'm living in a society, in a country, in a world that's broken by sin, uh, that sin overtakes the world. For me personally, I have to do a check before I just fly off the handle and um, start, you know, having uh, diarrhea of the mouth. Um, I really need to remind myself, this is a sin broken world. There is sin all over the place and society is in the hands of the evil one. He is at work. Satan is at work and he's going to find whatever way he can to have victory over Christians in their lives, to um, fight against God's system in this world. So reminding myself that the world is sin broken is really important for me in crafting a careful response so that it's not overly just, what happened? Why are people coming to this conclusion? I have to remind myself that it makes sense that people come to this conclusion. And part of the explanation also is that we as God-fearing Christian folks have failed in our responsibility to be salt and light in the culture. Salt that preserves and purifies the culture. Light that exposes evil and expels darkness. That's our responsibility. And to the extent that the culture is dark and polluted, to that same extent, the church has failed to fulfill its mission. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you another question then. In your Next point, you bring up Paul and his letter to the Corinthian church. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah. Uh, point two is, is remind yourself that you too once walked in darkness. Uh, and this goes in lockstep with the previous point. You know, we, we look at the world and we see that the world is, is lost and anti-God. Uh, but then also, you know, there's, there's a moment where we should have this reflection like, whoa, that was me at one time. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians is talking about, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he's talking about all the people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about, he's listing off terrible sins, sexual immorality, murderers, all these terrible things. And when you read that, you're like, wow, man, thank goodness that's not me, you know. Um, but then Paul says, but such were some of you before you were washed by Jesus. And then we should be able to take the mirror and look at ourselves and say, you know what? I was anti-God at one time, uh, but for the grace of God intervening in my life, I would be I would be as lost as the next person and maybe even worse. And so from, from that standpoint, I, I'm not celebrating Pride Month, but I'm starting to think about it in a different way. I'm thinking that, you know what? Praise the Lord for his grace in my life. If it weren't for that, I would be in complete darkness, just like the world is. The problem is that so many times Christians celebrate their own spiritual pride. And I'll tell you a case in point. I remember one day when I was in college. This was a long time ago. And it was the first week of my senior year in college. And I remember walking across campus with my college roommate. We, we saw a group of college kids, guys and girls, drinking from a keg keg party mm. and they were all intoxicated and I and I saw two guys standing on the sidelines vomiting in the grass mm. having overindulged in alcohol and I remember looking at them with so much disgust and I looked at my roommate and I said do you see what they're doing and he looked at me and he said Robert but for the grace of God there go I that's right and that was the first time in my life that anybody I'd heard anybody say that phrase and the Spirit of God just put a spiritual dagger in my heart, and it mortified the spiritual pride in my life. And I was embarrassed that I'd even said anything, because I knew that He was right. Well, here, there are Christians today who look at the murderers, the swindlers, the thieves, and yes, the homosexuals with spiritual pride, which is one of the seven deadly sins and we have to look in our own hearts and realize that our spiritual pride is as deadly as all the things that Paul listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he looks at that church in Corinthians, a very corrupt church, and says, and such were some of you. Mm. That mirror has to be turned into our own face. And we have to look at ourselves. And like my college roommate said to me, he says, Robert, but for the grace of God, there go I. That's right. That statement has stayed with me for over probably 50 years now. Mm. <laughs> well, talking about sin nature, you make a good observation about this topic in social media. And this is something that I've seen. You know, I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm on social media. I'm on all of the social medias. I guess it's just what we do, I guess. I'm and, not a millennial. Yeah, you're not, I, a, you I'm not on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I get the hives when I think about it. <laughs> it. It has its pros and its cons. And uh, one of the things that I've seen a lot, though, is, is this week Christians trying to grapple with 
responding to this. And you, you kind of address this a little bit in your next point. Can you, uh, can you share that with us and talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think for this topic, I felt like, you know, Hannah, you mentioned being a millennial. I'm right in the heart of the millennial generation myself. And so, yes, I'm on social media. <laughs> and so, uh, frankly, my probably my, the most interaction that I have with this issue Mm-hmm. is coming through my social media platform. Same here. Yeah. And so somebody's sharing this article. Somebody else is sharing that article. Here's come. Here comes a meme that says this, and I'm scrolling through it on a daily basis, and it's happening all month long. And I'm on, you know, I'm in Christian groups where they're sharing things that they're seeing from the secular world to this Christian group. And, you know, sometimes there's all this anger and vitriol. A lot of times, and for the grace of God, it's been, for the most part, a lot of graciousness and, and grief and heartbrokenness uh, in a lot of these groups over just how do I respond to this? You know, what's mm-hmm. what's the deal? But it's all month long, as you said. And so I'm, I'm seeing the angst in these groups where the majority of people are just, they're feeling a little paralyzed. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I'm seeing a lot of the same kinds of things. And unfortunately, I'm also seeing rage come out in unhelpful ways. I think social media has become just this unchecked megaphone where people just stream of consciousness, throw their thoughts online. It's so unfortunate because it becomes, I mean, there's some permanence when we're writing on social media and it's right there at our fingertips. So a lot of times it's like we think it, we pull out our phone, we write it out there and the whole world is seeing it and that becomes very unhealthy. And so something that comes to my mind when it comes to social media is Proverbs 29, 11, a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in till afterwards. And so I I then turn to social media and often uh, what we're seeing is that people are just sharing, basically uttering all their mind on social media and sharing these memes that are they're meant to pack a punch but they're really just marginalizing somebody in a really unhelpful way, not really sharing a whole lot of truth. And, and so it, I feel a lot of conviction over myself personally in dealing with my social media platform. I don't want to just vent my rage. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to communicate something on social media, I really want to uh, communicate it in a helpful way and, and not just a way that vents. Even if I'm trying to share a biblical viewpoint, if I'm doing it in a bad way, um, I'm probably just contributing to the reasons that people don't like Christians. Clinging symbol much, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so something that comes to mind, I think, as a more appropriate response than just a really angry meme during Pride Month it is in, found in Luke 20. And there in Luke 20, it's in the Gospel of Luke, we're approaching Passion Week and Jesus is in in the midst of the triumphal entry and they're waving palm branches and he's riding down the road where he would have been able to see the whole city laid out panoramically before him. And uh, we're told in Luke that Jesus, right in that moment, as he sees the city where he would go to be violently rejected and crucified, he looks at that city and he weeps over it. And he says, would that you, even you, on this day would recognize the things that make for peace. 
And so I think a more Christ-like response, when we're seeing the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the God of the Bible, is that it should be a grievous thing mm-hmm. for us as believers. And that, yes, there's a sense of, of righteous anger. I didn't really deal with that in this article, but th- there should really be a sense of grieving. And so I want to caution all of us as believers that we shouldn't be just blowing people up in, in an unhelpful, inventing kind of way. We, sh- we should have an attitude of, of grief over sin, uh, especially when it's being celebrated in this way. And I, I think that a Christ-like response is to remember the weight when people are rejecting the Savior and what he's given us in his word for how we can live a life pleasing to him. It's really a grievous reality. First of all, I don't know how to post things on social media. I have to get that. So I have to rely on my wife. So everything I post has to be posted through my my bride. And so it goes through the grid of her better judgment. <laughs> Secondly, I don't post one-liners. I always post a paragraph or an essay. And I think that that protects me from just throwing out that stream of consciousness, mm. one-liner retort. Yeah. And it allows me to think carefully what I'm going to put on the social media when I have to compose a paragraph or compose an essay. It has to be carefully thought out and carefully constructed. That was done away with with the advent of Twitter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Twitter is the exact opposite of that. It has uh, formulated and encouraged that kind of just, as you said, Aaron, stream, you know, stream of thought where people just as fast as they are, they hear, they think it, they experience it. They're, they're tweeting it out there. And it doesn't, as you, you rightfully went to that scripture, uh, reminding ourselves that we need to be more reflective over the words that come Mm -hmm. out of our mouths and the things, the, the words that are formed by our fingers. Tips. Yeah. Now, let me let me give a confession here, and I am grieving over this. I had a patient come into my office two weeks ago. He told me that he'd been a homosexual since he was 20 years of age, and he was now 55. He had just found out that he had lung cancer because he'd also smoked since he was 14. Now, he wasn't 100% sure that he had lung cancer, but his scans showed spots on his liver and large lymph nodes, so there was probably greater than 90% confidence that he had metastatic cancer. He had a bronchoscopy scheduled in order to confirm the diagnosis. So I looked at him and I asked him bluntly, are you ready to meet Jesus? And he says to me, doctor, I've never been a religious person. So I responded. I said, well, who is your spiritual advisor? And he said, I I really don't have a, a spiritual advisor. I said, you have a pastor? And he said, no. And I said, well, once you get this confirmation of a diagnosis, would you come back and talk to me? And we'll talk about your spiritual life. And he began to weep violently. Mm. And then he says, when he composed himself, would you do that for me? And I said, of course I will. Mm. I said, I'm your friend. I'm not just your doctor. I'm your friend. Mm. And I would be delighted to talk to you about that. So I've been praying for two weeks, looking forward to the opportunity to share with this man the gospel. But two days ago, he died from his complications of his lung, probably a lung cancer. Mm. And so I I, I want you to know I have been grieving for two days that I did not have an opportunity to meet with this man again and share the transforming power of the gospel Mm. with him. And I'm brokenhearted 
that I didn't have an opportunity to share with him two weeks ago. And I know that my schedule was jam-packed that day. I didn't have a chance to talk with him. Hmm. And I'm beating myself up that I did not make time to talk to him then, uh, that I didn't say, won't you come back in 30, 40 minutes after my day is done and we'll talk. He probably would have done it. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know what to say to myself or to God or to that man who's now deceased. But all I'm saying to you is that this was a man for whom Jesus died. Mm. And I'm not angry at him. I'm brokenhearted and grieving that he has gone to the grave without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah. Talking about our sin nature, you made an excellent point about exchanging one sin for another in part of your essay. Can you expound on that a little further, Aaron? Yeah, I think part of this issue also is that there's a sense of disgust a lot of times that uh, Christians will, uh, and not just Christians, but um, people who are, if we encounter somebody who are just, that we don't understand, and they they look different, and they're living a life that, that seems disgusting in some way or another. There's kind of this revolting um, re- immediate response and what I've seen, I, I've clicked on a few transgendered uh, um, celebrities, clicked on some of their pictures, and, you know, some of the comments on these pictures are horrible, and word for word one was just go kill yourself, and, and terrible things like that. And really, in this point, I just felt that I had to say, you know, even lost people are image bearers. Even lost people um, reflect the image of God and deserve respect on that basis. And so if we're just just hating on people and sharing damaging um, responses and comments like that. We're, we're really just, we're committing another sin, exchanging one sin for another, that's trying right. to say that somebody's engaging in behavior that's anti-God, but in pointing it out, we are sinning. It's just exchanging one for another. It's a hypocrisy at its finest. Yeah, that, that kind of rhetoric breaks my heart, Aaron, because what it does is it drives people away from Jesus it drives them away from the gospel, and it hardens their heart to the, a relationship with genuine Christian people. Well, thus far, you know, to put it in the words of a millennial, a lot of your points that you've made have been in the vein of check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to put it in a more biblical uh, vein, it would be, you know, take the log out of your own eye first before taking the splinter out of your brothers. Mm. But with point number five, you address what should actually come out of a believer's mouth and how it should be expressed. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there does come a time as believers, we're going to recognize that the world is lost. We're going to recognize that we should respect people. Uh, But there does come a time when we need to communicate the truth of the gospel. We can't just clamp down and never say anything. Mm -hmm. And some people want to communicate and they communicate in maybe a a way that's less than helpful. I think scripture in Ephesians 4.15 gives us a really good example of Paul tells the Ephesian believers there to speak the truth in love. And I think there's a loving way to reach out to people in this manner. It's not always easy sometimes um, if you're sharing the gospel, say, with somebody who's in the LGBTQ plus community, they're not open to it. But recently I, I shared the gospel with a, a man who told me he was uh, married to another man and they had children. And I had the chance to just open up the Bible and, and talk with him about it. And 
So we, at the end of the conversation, I invited him to church and wanted him, I really wanted him to come. You know, that brings up the question of like, what happens if he actually does show up, you know, with his husband and, and family and uh, I know that in our church, he would be loved and respected. And, uh, you know, we, like any lost person who comes in the door, we would invite them to the gospel. Um, and I think that's the right way to be communicating this, sharing the truth in love. And that applies to everybody who lives in some kind of a sinful lifestyle. If he's a that's drug right. addict that's right. or an alcoholic or, or right. a chronic heterosexual adulterer, uh, somebody who's a porn addict. It, it doesn't matter. Their their lifestyle should not cause us as God-fearing Christian people to shun them. We should embrace them and love them in the same way that Jesus loved people who were in some kind of chronic sin condition. So there you go. Yeah. And then your last point, you said you thought the Christians should feel compelled to engage in this conversation. Yeah, um, I I do think that Christians need to talk about this. We're told in the Sermon on the Mount, out of Jesus' own mouth, that we're salt and light. And there is a sense in which if people aren't hearing the gospel and the truth of how to please the Lord in our lives, if we're we're not talking about it, they're not hearing it. And um, I, I know that the impulse of many of us is just to, I'm not going to say anything. I'm, I don't want to invite this really uncomfortable conversation. Uh, and in the flip side, sometimes Christians will say something like, well, Jesus loves you, and that's all that matters. But that's there's more to it than that. Yes, Jesus loved the world. That's why he came and died. Uh, but there's a sense in which to come to Christ, we have to repent of sin. And so there's no getting around sharing that repentance from sin must occur when somebody comes to Christ. We can't say you can come to Christ, but you don't have to repent from sin. Because if we're saying that you can continue happily in your sin, you don't need to repent of it, Jesus will save you, love you, and you'll get into heaven anyway. Essentially, Jesus' death on the cross is meaningless. Mm, why, right. why did he even come? Why did he die? It means nothing if our sin doesn't have to be forgiven on the cross, paid for on the cross, and that we would repent of it when we come to him. And so this is an, a gospel-centric conversation that we have to have. Well, we have to be willing to tell the truth fearlessly. We have to understand that evangelism is our only strategy. Truth is our only weapon, and that we're convinced that the gospel transforms people's lives. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And that does not exclude homosexuals or chronic adulterers or alcoholics or porn addicts. It doesn't matter. Everyone who believes can be transformed by the gospel, and we're convinced of that. Now, next week, first of all, I want to say thank you, Aaron, for being our guest. Thank you for that very thoughtful essay. And next week, we're going to follow up this conversation by a discussion of a book written by, what was Mr. Brown's first name? Michael Brown. Michael Brown, Mm -hmm. entitled, Can Homosexuals Be Christian and Gay? And I think our listeners will find that a very interesting conversation. 
And Michael's, I mean, Aaron's essay can be found where, Hannah? Thepastorsblog.com. And also the title is What Should Christians Do About Pride Months? And this Aaron Mishler uh, is who we had, who we interviewed today. Again, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information on how to contact the Jackson family, to schedule a speaking engagement, or how to obtain Dr. Jackson's books, go to jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast was produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions.